0: You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The UFC is about to complete the hat trick of events tomorrow night in Jacksonville, Florida, and it has been a wild stretch thus far. What will the third event in this week-long stretch bring us? If the last 18 hours or so are any indication, we could be in for a memorable event at the ViStar Veterans Memorial Arena. Hello there, everyone. I am Mike Hecht, and welcome to the official UFC on ESPN 8 preview show here on MMAfighting.com. And as you can see, I am not alone in this venture. We have the number two ranked Bantamweight in the world joining us to break down the festivities. Also, the host of the weekly Scraps podcast, which you can find on YouTube or wherever you find your favorite podcast, the Funkmaster himself, Aljamain Sterling, how are you, sir? Thank you for joining us.
1: Doing well. Just got my work in for the day. And um, so far, it's a beautiful day on Long Island. And I'm just excited to have some more fistfights to uh, look forward to tomorrow.
0: Absolutely. It feels like spring has officially arrived here in the Northeast after it's been a sort of a strenuous time up here. It snowed here in Massachusetts about a, a week ago, and now it's 75 degrees. So, you know, it's just the way that it is. But let's get into this really solid-looking card on paper, especially this this main card. But in the main event, we got Walt Harris, who, of course, is coming into this fight with a very heavy heart. And as a father myself, I can't even imagine what this man and his family has gone through over the last several months. He returns to action against Alistair Overeem. Algebate, of course, the road Walt took to get to this fight has been pretty unbelievable. And for upwards of 25 minutes tomorrow night, He's going to face a legendary heavyweight credentials up the wazoo with the opportunity to get that signature win on his resume and take that next step towards title contention. What are you going to be looking for when the, these two giant men getting in, get into the octagon tomorrow night to cap off a crazy week of fights?
1: Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how Walt Harris kind of deals with that adversity and, um, how he handles the obstacle. Obviously this is, that's a big thing for anyone to overcome, uh, losing your daughter. And, um, I just hope his head is on straight and he can get back to uh, work and maybe this could be good for him to kind of keep his mind off of that and put his mind at a little bit of ease. So it's going to be a exciting fight. Um, I do think Walt Harris is the young gun coming in this game and uh, he's not, he's not a person to take lightly. So I over better be on his a game if he's trying to, maintain his spot in the rankings and try to make another title run that he's been trying to get back for some time now so walt harris he's a man on fire right now he's a man on a mission he's putting guys away and i don't think it's gonna be anything dif- different this time around
0: i think uh, an important interesting part of this story and the journey for walt harris is the fact that he's sharing this card with eric anders his teammate and these guys are going to compete on the same card for the first time since December of 2012 when Anders was an amateur. He got a win, and then Harris capped off the card with a knockout win over Josh Robertson. There's a certain comfort level, obviously, and you know this as a fighter, having a guy like Eric there and having a teammate there and vice versa, but there's this sort of inner big brother, little brother mentality where they're going to be fighting to get their team a couple of wins, but They're going to be battling for bonuses as well. That has to make things a little bit easier and exciting for Walt heading into this fight with everything that
1: has gone on with his life, right? Yeah, for sure. I think it gives you a little bit of comfort with that. I love fighting with my teammates on the card. It kind of brings me back to that high school wrestling mentality, college wrestling mentality. When you have a dual meet, it's our team, our best 12, 15 guys versus your best 12, 15 guys, um, one by one, you know, if a teammate loses, it always gets me motivated. If they win, it gets me hyped up. Uh, so either way for me, it's always great just to have that camaraderie in the locker room, cutting weight and all that good stuff. And, um, just having someone familiar with you going through the same kind of mental, I don't want to say struggle, but that that same mental process to get there into the octagon and put on a performance, of of the day because that's what you need you need to make sure you're on for those 15 minutes or 25 minutes in this case for wall harris but uh, it, this is going to be a great a great opportunity for both these guys to get both their hands raised and to kind of get the world kind of looking at them you know especially with this pandemic going on it's going to be a great opportunity for everyone who's back home they're going to be tuning in to watch these guys throw down
0: of course we can't forget about alistair Overeem, Aljo. this guy has seen it all he's fought everybody and to me especially with the storylines surrounding this fight. I think he comes into this fight sort of flying under the radar here. Do you agree with that? And if so, what does that provide a fighter from a mental standpoint, especially someone as veteran savvy as Alistair Overeem?
1: Definitely. He's definitely being a little overlooked in my opinion. I do recall him winning the fight with uh, Jair Rosenstruck the entire fight until literally the last, what, four seconds of the round, and it gets caught with a monster right hand gets put down and get his lips split open. So this is a big opportunity for him to, to get back into that W column in a big way against a guy who's riding high on a lot of momentum in Walt Harris. So I, I guess, like you said, you can't really count over him out. He's a veteran. He's been there with the best of the best. He's been a former world champion, and um, – Walt Harris definitely is going to have his hands full, especially with Overeem's new fight style. He's kind of got like that uh, that lateral footwork where the opponent starts to chase him a bit. And that's where he capitalizes when they run in and they get too overzealous and they get caught. Do you have a, an official pick here? If, I, if I'm picking, uh, I'm going to have to go with uh, my guy, Walt Harris. I think the body of work that he's put on display, I got to work with him in the back room. Not work with him, but watch him in the back room when I was getting ready for one of my fights. And uh, to see him his the way he was preparing walk out to the octagon and do the same things he was doing in the back room and get the job done within the first one two minutes of the fight is something to be said about that so uh, i'm leaning towards him i think he's a man on a mission right now he's on fire and he's got momentum on his side
0: that's gonna be a great fight uh, another great fight co-main event claudia gadelia taking on the very game and very active angela hill and it's been around 10 or so months since we've seen claudia gadelia pick up that win over random marcos and You know, she's changed things up a little bit, working with Ricardo Almeida, Mark Henry, and that great team as of late. And then there's Angela Hill, who has had three fights in the octagon since Gedalia last competed in June of last year. Huge opportunity for Angela Hill. What sticks out to you in this strawweight co-main event?
1: I think the grappling. Can Angela Hill deal with the grappling of Claudia? I'm not really certain of that, but I know Angela Hill has really good footwork, and it makes it hard for people to get their hands on her. So I think that and her activity in comparison to Claudia might be the difference maker in this one. I I would just have to wonder if Angela Hill has some injuries that she hasn't let healed up. Kind of like a Donald Cerrone who fights so often, he gets into these wars, and for him to take another big fight against another guy who hits hard and brings a ridiculous pace, you kind of have to wonder about those injuries. And to be banged up going into a fist fight is never really a great thing. So um, for Angela Hill... I want to know if the activity helps her or does it hurt her? And I think in fighting a veteran like Claudia Godeja, I think this is going to be a big fight and a big opportunity for her to really let the division know that Angela Hill is here and she's a real contender and threat to the the, the throne.
0: That's a really interesting point because there's, there's sort of two sides to the activity here. One is, like you said, the physical toll that it can take. Having this many fights in this short of amount of time. But then at the same time, you have Angela Hill, who's been kind of flip-flopping wins and losses throughout her career. Now she's on this tear. Her confidence must be at a, at a sky-high level right now. How important is that confidence heading into a fight with a perennial contender like Claudia Gigadalia?
1: Confidence is everything. I always say it. If you go into the fight confident, good things are going to happen. You're going to feel like you're at home, you're in the training room, you're the sparring in the cage, and you're going to feel like you can let it go. And you can kind of get a little bit of flow, a little bit of momentum going based on how confident you are in your skill set and how confident you are in how you match up with your opponent. You know, So I think that's going to be the big telltale for this one, whether or not she's going to be confident going in or she's going to maybe have a little bit of doubt about being taken down. And um, I think if she can get off to a good start early on, I think she has a speed advantage uh, over uh, Claudia, and I think that could be the difference in the fight. Again, it just really matters how banged up is her body if if she's feeling good. Remember Dominic Cruz said the same thing, he said it's all about how I feel the night of the fight. And he said right now, I feel like money, and it turns out, you know, we watched the fight. It didn't really look like money, you know, but um it, I think it just depends on your your mental mindset going into the, into the scrap. So I think, um, Angela Hill's definitely got the momentum on her side. I think she's in a groove. And like you said, flip-flopping those wins and losses. And now she's got that streak going. I think she's going to be more determined than ever to go out there and make this statement and let the division know she's ready for the upper echelon of her division.
0: I think Gedalia's confidence is pretty high as well with the new team. She seems in a, in a really good place mentally and she can earn herself an interesting opportunity with the win. But if Angela Hill can get her fourth straight against a name like that, that's going to be huge for her. And let me also mention that our own Casey Lydon and Esther Lynn visited Angela Hill in San Diego before she headed out to Jacksonville. That behind the scenes look at one of her final training sessions is on our YouTube channel. It's very well done. So please go check that out as we move ahead to the featured bout featherweight division. We have Edson Barboza dropping to 145 for the first time, taking on the surging Dan Ige. And Aljo, this one sort of reminds me of the Drew Dober, Alex Hernandez fight from Wednesday, where the main event is the focal point, obviously. The co-main event is interesting, but the featured bout is really fascinating. So what's your thoughts on Barboza's drop to featherweight to take on a surging guy like Dan Ige?
1: Um, there's a lot of questions to be answered. Um, why did Barbosa cut down to 45 when he was doing really well at 155, is just just to get a fresh look. Um, is he going to be as strong coming cutting down to featherweight in comparison to being a, a 55er or um the speed advantage? You know, when you cut down, people think you're going to be the bigger, stronger guy, but then you lose something. You're faster at the upper weights, the higher weights, but you go down. Those little, the smaller guys, we we tend to be a little bit faster to those big guys who come down. So that speed advantage, that luxury that he had with the leg kicks and spinning back kicks. He might lose a little bit of that against a Dan Ige, but Dan Ige is mostly a grappler. But his last fight, he looked phenomenal standing up. And I'm super pumped up about this fight. I think this might be my sleeper fight if I had to pick because I think this one is going to really steal the show, Um, potentially. I think Barbosa is going to be looking to stake his claim in that uh, featherweight division. And Dan Ige is going to be looking to make his name and catapult himself into a different tier of stardom if he can turn back Barbosa and let him know, hey, this is my division. Welcome um, to the Danny Ige show.
0: Yeah, because it's, it's interesting being a guy like Danny Ige because for a while he was just quietly running off these wins and people were like, yeah, he's an exciting guy. But then you look and you saw he won like two, three in a row and he kind of, kind of quietly flew under the radar. But like you mentioned, the last fight, with Mirzad Bektik, was a phenomenal fight. He looked great on the feed, and it seems like he's quiet no more. Like it's, it seems like people are starting to to get to know Danny Gay. Where does a win over a guy like Edson Barboza take Danny Gay in terms of this really fascinating one hundred and forty five pound
1: division? Uh, I think it catapults him at least into the top ten of that featherweight division. Um, you beat a guy like Barboza who's right on the cusp of fighting for the for the title. Um, going in there with Kevin Lee, Tony Ferguson. Um, He's fought everybody at 155. He's had some successful times. He's had some some uh, some down slopes, but that's part of the game. When you're in a Shark Tank division at the 155 pound lightweight division, it's tough, you know. So some you see guys like Michael Johnson who beat Tony Ferguson. He beat uh uh I, who was it? I think Boy. it was Dustin Poirier, and I think there was another guy he beat. And then he runs into Khabib, and then he tried to do the same thing going down a weight class. He kind of had mixed results and comes back up to 55, you know. So it's just one of those things. Is Barbosa going to be mentally sound for this one? And is he going to be in, a, in the right mindset, the right mind space to, to go into to this fight with uh, Danny Ige, who's, again, it's kind of like the main event with um, Overeem versus Harris. I, kind of like that one guy who's riding high on momentum. The other guy's a little bit of, on a little bit of a losing streak. And one guy can kind of take the the, the torch and build their name and credentials off of beating this opponent. So Ige's got a tough task ahead of him. I wonder what type of approach uh, Edson Barbosa is going to use with the kicking game. Because Dan Ige, we know he's a phenomenal grappler, and if he could get Barbosa down to the ground, we've seen him struggle to get back to his feet. That's always been his issue, in my opinion. He gets taken down has a tough time getting back to his feet you see that with kevin lee you see that with jamie varner you saw that with even with the tony ferguson fight and um i believe michael johnson i think he beat him too I, i'm not 100 sure but i think he did and then uh there was another Oh, uh, obviously could so you know that's that could be the difference in this fight and obviously danny trains with could be even those guys over at aka so it's a very fascinating matchup i like ige in this one and um I, I like momentum, man. is a real thing. If you can get off to a good start and really let Barbosa know, hey, man, d- welcome to the featherweight division and, and and turn him back.
0: Yeah, Barbosa coming in this fight, losing four out of his last five. New weight class, looking for that fresh start. Egays won five in a row. This one circled on my fight card, no doubt about that. Of course, there's a lot of storylines, and you saw them at weigh-ins this morning. We saw Marvin Vittori weigh in, like he said he would on Twitter last night, weighed in under the 205-pound limit for a— a fight that there are no light heavyweights on this card at all. So that was an interesting way. And hopefully that means he gets a couple of paychecks, but Uriah Faber weighs in because reportedly there was potential visa issues for Song Yidong ahead of his featherweight fight with Marlon Vera. But it looks like from all indications at this very moment, things could change by the time this drops, but it looks like Yidong will be good to go from all indications after all. Um, You know, Outside of the fights we just discussed, Aljamain, and you mentioned Danny Gay and Edson Barboza sort of being your your sneaky under-the-radar fight, kind of looking a little bit deeper down, what fight do you have circled on this card that people may not be talking about enough that, that sticks out to you?
1: If there's another fight that sticks out to me, I, I'm probably leaning towards the weights. I might be a little biased here, but um, Song Yadong versus Marlon Vera is a phenomenal matchup. You got Marlon Vera, who's sick on the ground when it comes to jujitsu. He's got that nice Kimura lock defense that he uses, and he actually finished um, Brian Kelleher with that when Brian was ri- uh, riding pretty high on his win streaks. And, um, he, you know, he went a little bit up and down. He lost to uh, John Lineker, but came back. And I think if I'm not mistaken, he's on a four- Maybe five-fight five win streak. Um, his last fight, he looked phenomenal when it came to his stand-up. His boxing looked better than ever, and obviously his dang- his grappling is just as dangerous as any black belt in uh, this division. So you you look at Song Yudong, he's got a lot of raw power. He's built like a statue. The Kung Fu Monkey, I think, is his his, uh, his nickname. So this is going to be a, a fun, fascinating fight. How does the the shorter um, the the reach disadvantage of Song Yudong match up with the kicking range? of a guy like Marlon Vera and his grappling. I think Marlon Vera is very tricky. And with that alone, I think it, it causes some problems for Song Yudong. It's going to be interesting to see how he makes these adjustments from his last fight with uh, Cody Stammen and when it came to the grappling. Vera's not the best wrestler, but his jiu-jitsu is, is better than anyone else in this division that I, I can think of off the top of my head. Except for that Sterling fellow. He's pretty good, too.
0: Yes, he is. Yes, and we saw we saw Aljo when we started. Aljo, you're looking shredded right now, i got to say, as you were about to crush some, crush some eggs and some breakfast before we went live here. But uh, <laughs> another fight that's really interesting to me is uh, Giga Chikadze versus Erwin Rivera. That's another one that's sort of up in the air right now because Rivera never weighed in. He took the fight late last night, as we reported. And uh, that'll be an interesting scrap should that move forward tomorrow night in Jacksonville. Uh, Aljime, before we let you go, man, I appreciate you jumping in and, and giving us a little preview here. I'd be remiss if we didn't get into... What is happening in your world these days? Because this week has had an impact potentially on your future at 135 pounds with Cejudo defeating Dominic Cruz at UFC 249. That announces his retirement. And of course, we don't know if that's 100% the deal here with Cejudo. But with that door to a title shot suddenly unlocking a little bit for you, can you give us an update on what's going on there from your perspective?
1: Uh, As far as I know that I could probably reveal, uh, I believe the UFC is probably going to have one last conversation with Sayudo and just make sure he's definitive on him retiring and then move on from there. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Pityan. Obviously, he's across the country in another I think He's in Thailand right now. So I don't know how the whole thing is going to work with the visa issues. I know, obviously, Dana White said at the Post Fight press conference he would like to crown a new champion relatively soon. Um, That could be UFC 250, maybe UFC 251. We don't know yet. But it all depends on how everything opens up with the economy and the world again. And um, from there, I think the UFC is going to have to, will be able to better assess the the landscape and make the decisions based on that. Right now, I feel good about my odds. You know, I posted a lot of content from my last fight, why I should be the next guy. Obviously, I'm ranked number two in the division. My body of work speaks for itself. I beat the undefeated Brett Johns. Who was ranked, I think, 14 or 15 at the time? I gave him his first loss. Um, dominant, one-sided decision. Uh, I fought Cody Stamen, who was undefeated in the UFC at the time. He only had one split decision loss. With that, arguably, he won, so he could have been an undefeated fighter at the bantamweight division. I finished him with the Love stretch, what I call the Funk Strudel. Um, then you go. From there, that's another guy who was ranked in the top 10. I beat um, Cody Stamen. Then I go to Jimmy Rivera, who was ranked number five at the time. I dispatched him, one-sided victory, not a close um, affair like it was with Peter Yan versus Jimmy Rivera, where Rivera was outstriking, did outstrike him, and pretty much was winning the entire fight besides the last 20, 30 seconds of rounds one and two, and I ended up coming back and winning round three. And, of course, my last matchup with the always-tough Pedro Munoz, who knocked out the former champion in Cody Garbrandt in the first round, and uh, another one-sided dominant decision. So I think my my claim that I've been putting out is, you know, I work my ass off and um, I'm here. I'm a real threat. And I think I earned the right to stake my claim for, to why I should be challenging for a world title in the UFC's the band weight division. So, so good, man. Where I'm sitting, everything's, uh, I think I laid out a perfect timeline of everything. And it's been a year since I last fought with my surgery. And uh, I'm just excited to get back in there and put on a show. The Funk Show is back, baby.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how things have turned because I spoke to Marlon Marais a couple of weeks ago, and he was very confident that he would still fight Pietro on June 13th or whenever at this point. But that was before all this other stuff went down with Cejudo retiring. And uh, there, there have been some rumors. You've been linked to a matchup with Corey Sandhagen maybe on June 6th, but everything is sort of up in the air right now. So you, you, you feel confident about it. But if you could give it a grade between 1 and 10, how confident are you that your next fight, perhaps in the next month or so, will be for a UFC title?
1: Um, uh, I'm, a, I'm like at a seven and a half, eight right now on the scale of one to 10. I feel pretty good about it. You know, if not, then I fight Corey Sanhagen. I beat him up and hopefully get the finish. And I can't be denied after that. You know, he beat a sunset. He beat John Lineker. Arguably, I think he has a better resume than Peter Young. Peter Young just has the hype because he has the whole country of Ireland, um, Russia behind him. When you look at the U.S., the U.S. is a little weird, man. We got so many sports and so many other things that we can watch and support. It's hard to get the entire country behind you, like a Conor McGregor gets it in Ireland, like a uh, Cheeto Vera gets all of, uh, I think, Ecuador, and um, obviously uh, Pideon in Russia. It could be even Russia, you know, so it's the U.S. is, like I said, it's a little weird getting the fans to get behind their own. And obviously, I rep Jamaica. I'm a first generation born uh, Jamaican-American. You know, My parents are born and raised in Jamaica, my grandparents born and raised in Jamaica, and my other family still lives down in Jamaica and I still go back there. Um, so I know a lot of people kind of give me uh, sh- a little bit of shit for that. But honestly, is anyone really from the States a real American born and raised in terms of like their families and everything? I think everyone's kind of an immigrant somehow, some shape or form. And uh, I wasn't raised in an American society at home. You know, So my household, was a Jamaican household. So I got all my traditions and all my roots and my coaches intact. So um, I think it's nice that I could be able to support both countries, the U S which I was born and raised and had the opportunity to, uh, to live out my dreams. And of course I got my Jamaican culture um, as well. That really helped mold me into the man I am today.
0: Well, maybe with that being said, and we, we could do Sterling versus Jan on on the mystical fight island. I feel that, uh, yeah. that that would make a lot of sense. That would be a lot of fun. Fighting on a beach, Aljo, that seems like it would be right up your alley.
1: Oh, I would love that. I would love that. I would like to go out there earlier and bring some of the boys out so we could get some training out there to get acclimated. we let's see what happens, you know. if Like I said, if it's not Corey Sanhagen, hopefully it's for the world title. And if not, then um, we keep our – I'm still focused on Corey Sanhagen. He's the guy that I'm still studying. And um, if we got to make some slight adjustments – If it's for PD on, we'll see what happens. But hopefully they can get him into the country and we can make this thing go down. If not, we'll have to just wait and see what the UFC decides to do.
0: Well, most importantly, it's it's good to see you healthy and, and ready to return, and we appreciate your candor on this topic, because obviously there's so many moving pieces here, and we thank you for joining us to to preview UFC on ESPN 8 going down tomorrow night at the ViStar Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville, Florida. Prelims are going to kick off at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN Plus, and then the main card will kick off at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ESPN. and. I believe, and don't quote me on this, I think it's on ESPN Plus as well, headlined by Walt Harris versus Alistair Overeem. So stay locked in here with MMAFighting.com for all of your coverage before, during, and after tomorrow night's event. Jose Young's is our boots on the ground, live in Jacksonville, making all the magic happen. For the great Aljamain Sterling, I am Mike Heck. Thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you tomorrow night.
1: You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.